place where we can gather together and we can worship together and open God's word together. I don't know about you, God's word is special to me and I hope it is for you too, but we're going to look at Judges chapter 8 down kind of uh, closer to the end of the chapter starting in verse 22. Um, We're going to be talking about Gideon, but it's probably not the story of Gideon that you're thinking about. Uh, This is after that story. Um, uh, So what I want to do is I want to start with prayer because we're going to do a little bit of introduction before I start, uh, before we start reading the word. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for allowing us to come in. Lord, I ask that you'd open up our ears, our hearts, Lord, that we could gain something from your word today, that it wouldn't just be words, wouldn't just be something that uh, gets in our mind and that's it, but Lord, help it to get to our hearts today. Lord, help it to change us, draw us close to you, challenge us today, encourage us in your word, and Lord, I pray if any are lost, I pray they'd come to know you, uh, any backsliders, that they would find healing, and Lord, I pray that if there's a Christian today that's not serving you, I pray that they would do that, uh, Lord, because we know it's your will. In Jesus' name we pray. And amen. amen. So Gideon, he's the sixth judge in the book of Judges. Uh, so this was the time uh, in Israel before they had any kings. So they had uh, a group of judges uh, before that time. And, and during this exact time, the Midianites were ruling over them. So they were in bondage, much like they were in, lay, in bondage to the Egyptians before. Now they're in bondage to the Midianites uh, so they're trying to hide, and that's kind of where we find Gideon. He's trying to uh, to tread wheat, uh, uh, to thresh, and instead of in an open threshing, he's kind of in a valley, which makes it harder. But the angel of the Lord appears unto him and says that he's the one that's going to lead them out of bondage. He's the one that's going to defeat the Midianites, that angel of the Lord said. And Gideon was reluctant. And I don't know about you, I've been there. I've been there uh, reluctant when God tells me what he wants me to do uh, for him. And he starts to give all sorts of excuses. I've been there too. Uh, Gideon said, my family is poor. That's why I can't serve you, Lord. Uh, I'm the weakest in my family. And then I think kind of the craziest one he gives is he's saying, hey, we're in bondage right now. Uh, So that means, Lord, you've forsaken me. Even though he's trying to convince the Lord of this, he's telling him, I'm going to get you out of bondage. But isn't that how ridiculous we are sometimes when we give excuses to the Lord? But I tell you what, if God had truly forsaken them, he wouldn't be visiting them, right? And offering to set them free. So the, uh, usually the part of the story, uh, this, this gets to the more popular part. Remember, he lays out a fleece. And then one time uh, he asked the, the Lord to make the fleece wet and the, the ground around dry. You know, the dew only to go on the fleece. Uh, and then he rings it out. And then the next day he asks the Lord to do the opposite. Lord, make the ground wet with dew, but the fleece dry. And the Lord does that. Uh, so then Gideon decides, okay, he's going to do it. Uh, and remember, he starts with this big uh, army. Uh, and then the Lord whittles it down to where it gets to just 300. Right? That's, that's the other part of the story. We, that's pretty popular. Uh, so he's got 300 and against, he's going against the Midianite, the Amalekite armies. Judges 7:12 says this, they lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude and their camels without number. So he's fighting. They're going to fight an enemy that's enormous, uh, with just 300 men in Gideon. And God tells them, I want you to take pictures and put lamps in it. 
and have a trumpet in the other hand. And all I want you to do is blow the trumpet and smash the pitcher on the ground. That's what they're going to do in the middle of the night. That's the battle plan, right? Uh, they're not bringing any weapons. They're not bringing anything like that that you normally would bring. Just pitchers that you'd hold water in with a lamp and a trumpet. And guess what? They did what God said. And what, did, what happened? The enemy woke up in confusion and they start attacking each other and they start running and everything else. And God brought a huge victory and ended the bondage. So then in chapter 8, earlier on, uh, Gideon tracks down the two Midianite kings uh, and they take care of them. And then we get to verse 22. And that's what I want to start with today. Uh, so this is after the victory, after the, bond, uh, the bondage is over, the battles are over. Uh, this is what happens in Gideon's life after all that. So Judges 8.22, Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you, the Lord shall rule over you. And Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, uh, we will willingly give them. And they spread a garment and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold, besides ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian, and beside uh, the chains that were about their camels' necks. And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in his city, even in Ophrah. And all Israel went thither, uh, a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. So we see right here, Gideon, remember he's a judge of Israel. That means he had been called by God to this job. You know, God had called him to be a judge. He was reluctant at the beginning, but God wanted him to rule over the people. And back then when a judge died, they just went without a judge until God called the next one. Do you see how that works? They, it wasn't like kings. See, kings are different. Uh, a king would build wealth and power and, and build up cities and fortresses and everything else and tax the people. And then their family would kind of usually reign after them in succession. So uh, uh, this is what they wanted. They wanted him, instead of just being a judge, to become a king. Right. But the problem is uh, God didn't want them to be to have a king. Right. God wanted them to trust him right. instead of trusting in a man. So now the Midianites are defeated and they want Gideon again to go from being a judge to a king so his family could keep reigning. And here's the thing. Gideon had been successful. Right. He had brought uh, victories. He had trusted in God by faith. And now he's facing the temptation of becoming a king. He could have had power and wealth and everything else. And then the question is, how would we have responded? Right? What, how would we have taken when they say, oh, I want to elevate you to a real high uh, a thing. I want to offer you that. And, and you know, we're, we're going to be honest with ourselves. Nobody's going to offer us a throne. But will you trust God to take care of you by faith? Will you, or will you trust the offers that men give to take care of you? That's really the question. Will you let the Lord rule over your life or will you become king of your own life? Right? That's, that's another one. 
Verse 23, Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. Uh, The Lord shall rule over you. That's what he's saying. He gives the perfect answer right there. Right? That's the perfect answer. You let the Lord rule. I'm not going to be king. I'm just going to be the judge uh, that I was called to be. A couple years ago, I read this book about George Washington. And uh, as he's uh, been president, you know, the first president of the United States, if you didn't know that, uh, but he uh, had the opportunity really to become a king. That's what other countries have where kings, but he didn't. He didn't want that. He wanted to be the president. And in fact, when he had done his terms, he stepped down and allowed the next man to run. That's why our country's different. Right. That's why we don't have a king and everything else, because he he refused that. And that's what we see with Gideon. He refused it as well. But it would have been a a hard decision. But really, he had no authority to be king. God never called him to be that. God never wanted him to be that. Only a judge. It wouldn't that be great if this was the end of the story right here. Oh, I wish uh, it would have ended at verse 23 and then it would have said the next verse, Gideon lived so many years and reigned and then he died and was buried with his fathers, right? Or something like that. Wouldn't that what you want to read? Unfortunately, it keeps going. Verse 24, Gideon's got, he says, I would desire a request from you. And he asked for all the golden earrings that they spoiled from the enemies. So all the enemy soldiers had those gold earrings in their ears. And he said, you know, you keep all the rest of the spoil. I want those earrings myself. They spread out that garment and they start tossing them in there. Verse 26 tells us 1,700 shekels of gold worth of earrings. When they melted it down, that's 43 pounds of gold that he has. And that's on top of everything else Gideon had taken from the kings and their camels and everything else. Verse 27, what's he do with it? Gideon made an ephod thereof, and he put it in his city, even Orphrah, and all Israel went thither a whoring after it, which became a snare unto Gideon and of his house. So that ephod is what God had designed for the high priest. And it was this golden kind of a vest thing. And it would be gold over the shoulders, and it would have a gold a kind of breastplate, and it would end about right here. And the one God told them to make had 12 stones with the 12 tribes of Israel and had different uh, you know, ornamental things on it. Uh, and they would wear kind of this blue and white robe underneath, and they would wear this thing. Uh, and that's when they were doing the work of the Lord. But here's the thing. God never said that anyone else should be wearing that. Right. So they were. Hey, here's what Gideon's doing. He's taking something spiritual, something God uh, designed, something God wanted the high priest to use uh, in that office. And he was making one either for himself or for the city. I don't know. I don't know if he ever wore it or not, but he's making this ephod. God never told him to do that. And here's what happens. It turns into an idol. Right. When Gideon was first called by God. He built an altar back then and he called it Jehovah Shalom. That means the Lord is our peace. So we already had that altar right to the Lord in the city, which is what which was a good thing. But now that he's freed from bondage, now that the victory has been won, now that there's peace in the land and everything else, Gideon decides he needs his own ephod for some reason. I don't know why. And it becomes a snare unto him and to his house. Do You see that? A couple verses later, we didn't read this, but if you go down to verses 30 and 31, Gideon had three score and ten sons of his body begotten, for he had many wives. And then 31, and his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son whose name was Abimelech. 
So he's got many wives. He's got 70 sons, the Bible says. And verse 31 names one of them, Abimelech, which means my father, a king. Are we seeing a problem here? Right? Remember earlier on, he said, no, there's only God's going to be your king, not me. And now he's got a son saying, my father, a king. I think he's changed his mind. Maybe he's not calling himself a king, but he's acting like a king, isn't he? Taking these wives and his sons and everything else, trying to build up a line so it, uh, one of his sons can take over and everything else. So these last verses we see about Gideon's life up into his death, you notice the Lord has nothing good to say about him. There's no good things that he did. So the one at the beginning that reluctantly stepped out in faith and won a great victory for the Lord has now given into lust, now given into greed, now given into wanting power and women and everything else in just a short time. Again, he should be a judge, but he's acting like a king instead. And he's no longer useful to God anymore. I can't find another thing that he does useful for the Lord. And I think this story is a warning for us as Christians. I think it's a warning that even he took a spiritual thing and he turned it into an idol. That's what he did. He took a good thing and made it bad and it became a snare. And here's the thing. I've said it before. An idol doesn't have to be a statue. It is anything that draws your heart away from the Lord. It could be a thing. It could be an idea. It could be all sorts of stuff. uh, uh, But anything that pulls it away. And Gideon's life teaches us one thing, I believe. That right after the victory... Right? Right as soon as what you've done for the Lord is over, right as soon as the trial's over and there's peace and everything else, I believe that's the most dangerous time for a Christian. Is right there. Right? When you're when there's nowhere to turn, when the enemy's everywhere, when there's no hope, you have to trust God at that point. You either give up or you trust God. You either surrender or you say, God, if you don't do this, there's nothing gonna happen. That's right. Right? But then what happens afterward? What happens when God delivers you, right? What happens when God answers the prayer? What happens when God heals you? What happens when God saves your family member? What happens when God does that thing for you? What happens when the trial's over and there's peace now in your heart and you're on the mountaintop? Now what? Are you still going to trust God? Are you still going to obey his word? Are you still going to do what he's called you to do? Or are you going to make yourself king, Right? Are you going to decide what's right in your own eyes? That was the problem in the book of Judges. Usually between when one judge had died before he sent the next one, the people did what was right in their own eyes. That's what Gideon's doing now. He's doing what's right in his own eyes instead of what God wants him to do. He started out trusting God, but now his life is finishing so poorly. You realize there's other examples in the Bible. King Uzziah. So by the time they get to the kings, Uzziah was a king in Judah. He trusted God to fight against the Philistines and other groups. He fortified Jerusalem. He built a strong army. In fact, he was one of the first ones they talked about building these like uh, siege engines where they would uh, uh, build like this tower thing on wheels that would bust down the walls and they could get inside the city and attack them. Uh, He's the first one that talked about it. He resisted idol worship. Second Chronicles 26, 5. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. But then Second Chronicles 26, 16. But when he was strong, 
His heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. So he decided, uh, uh, it's not too far off from Gideon. He said, I'm going to do what a priest should do. And he decides, I'm going to pick up the incense. I'm going to take it in the temple and offer it to God myself. And the priest tried to stop him. And he gets wrong. He gets angry. And all of a sudden, the leprosy starts coming up in his whole body. That's what the Bible says. They shut him out of there. They, they thrust him out of the temple. And he goes and lives the rest of his life in a leper colony. Uzziah, King Uzziah started off great. And in the end, his pride led to his destruction. Gideon started off great. And then what? The peace, the success, everything else ended him to turn to lust. What about the New Testament? I'm glad you asked. We have someone named Demas. Demas is mentioned three times in the New Testament. Paul in his final greetings to the Colossian church in Colossians 4.14 says, Luke, the beloved physician and Demas greet you. Demas would have been known by the church. And we see he's probably traveling and working with Paul uh, and everybody else. And then in Philemon, Paul's giving his final greetings to the letter of Philemon. And he says, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. So he's not only mentioned with Luke, right? Now he's also, they go even further and say, hey, these are fellow laborers. So Paul wrote Colossians and Philemon when he was in prison in Rome in, in about 60, 61 AD. But here's something that happens later. About five to six years later, Paul's writing his second letter to Timothy. And in 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 10, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica. So in just five or six years, we have Demas, who was with Paul, who was with Luke, the same Dr. Luke that wrote uh, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, that same Luke. He's with him, and they're all fellow laborers together. But five, six years later, he's forsaken. He's not with Paul anymore. He's not with the Lord anymore. Why? It says, he having loved this present world, and he's gone. Mm. You think of all that. What amazes me is, you know, Luke... Luke's a historian, so the Gospel of Luke, he's pulling together historical accounts. He's interviewing witnesses, and he's writing all of those things. And then most of the book of Acts is the same way until about the 20s. Uh, it switches, and instead of saying they, Luke starts saying we. Because he, he was with them at that point. He, that's when he joined in. And, and some of the things that they went through and some of the amazing things that they saw, there was Luke there with them. It could have been Demas right there with them too. They were all fellow laborers together. And can you imagine traveling with Apostle Paul and everyone else and seeing the Lord do marvelous things and seeing great things happen and, and planting churches and visiting them and everything else. And then all of a sudden this desire of the present world was greater and he walked away. It's sad, but it happens a lot, doesn't it? He forsook. And guess what? Just like Gideon's, just like Uzziah and just like Demas, their records cut off right there. As soon as they forsake, as soon as, the, uh, as they go the other way, as soon as it's done, then that's it. 
No more records about him. But aren't you glad we have examples of the opposite? Aren't you glad? Just before uh, before Paul's verses about Demas, just before he's getting ready to tell Timothy that Demas has forsaken, just two verses ahead of that, 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, Paul says this, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me on that day, and not me only, but unto all, all them also that love his appearing. There at the end of Paul's life, he can say, listen, uh, he's about to tell him Demas is forsaken and fled and he's gone and it's over uh, with him. But now he's saying, hey, I'm about to finish this thing. I'm about to be done. And here's the thing. Uh, we've not all been called to do what Paul was called to do. He, uh, God's will is different for each one of us. His plan is different. But he said, I kept the faith. Uh, don't you want to say that? Don't you want to say, not only did I start in the faith and I was in the middle of this thing with the faith but I kept the faith all the way to the end of the thing that's what I want to be able to say I don't know about you Uh, uh, he didn't waver from trusting Jesus Christ he never stopped preaching the gospel to whoever would listen and he said there's a crown of righteousness waiting for me and I'm glad he didn't stop there brother Preston but he said not for me also but for all them that trust in Jesus Christ praise God some days it feels like we're never going to get to the end doesn't it Some days it feels like that. We're never going to finish. But I'll tell you what, uh, we can be victorious. We can be overcomers if we keep the faith as well and trust in Jesus Christ. You know, back when I I created a prayer and I lost it and I just found it again the other day that I had made for myself when it comes tied to this verse. I said, Lord, help me put myself into subjection. So that the cares of this world and my own flesh don't get in the way of the high calling that you've placed on my life. Uh, For me, he's called me to be a pastor, a husband, and a father. But you can put in what he's called you to do right there. Please help me to grow every day closer to you and finish having kept the faith and having done your will. That's my desire. I don't know about you. I don't want a name for myself. I don't want to be special. I don't care if the world knows who I am or not. I just want to be found because one day I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ. You're not going to be there. It's going to be just me and him. And you know what he's going to ask? Mike, what did you do with what I've given you? What did you do with the family I've given you? What did you do with the church that I gave you to lead over? What did you do with the time of your life? What did you do with the the gifts that I've given you in the education? What did you do with that? And guess what? I'm waiting on him to answer that question. Not me. (laughs) I want him to say, well done. Thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful with a few things. Man, that's true for me. Just a few things. Enter thou into the joys of the Lord. That's what I want. I don't have this big old sheet ready for him to say, here, Lord, here's what I've done. He's keeping a record of that. And he knows the things I've done by faith. And he knows the things that I've done in my own will. And he's got a record for it. But you know what? I got to focus on that end. Right? We got to focus on the finish line. Martin Luther, I don't like most of what he believed, but he said this. There's only two important days in your life. Here they are. Today and the day you stand before Jesus. And I like that. I can't change yesterday. 
And I can worry about tomorrow, but I can't do anything about it. But I can do something right now. And I can do something knowing that one day I will stand before the same Savior that died for my sins. And so will you. Yes. That's why I love Hebrews 12 said this. Wherefore, having, wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to finish strong in the Lord. I don't know about you. I want to live a life pleasing to him till I leave this earth. And if the Lord should come back before I die, I want him to find me faithful. Right? Just like all those parables where the master went to a far country and came back at an unknown time. And he's asking his servants and seeing if they're faithful or not. These things are great. But let me ask you this question. We're getting near to the end. I want you to imagine you were there in Gideon's day. And you were a close advisor to him. You were around him. You saw his life and you were able to talk with him and everything else. He makes this ephod. It's a snare to him. It's a snare to the people. They go worshiping it like an idol. He's got all these wives. He's doing all these things against God. Let me ask you this question. If you would have went to Gideon and said, how's your relationship with the Lord? What would he have said? What would he have said? I want you to be honest. If you asked him, what would he have said? Everything's great, right? The Lord's blessed me with a big family, right? I've got all this money, right? I've got this power. We've got this place set up in our own city to worship the Lord. Everything's going great. What's the reality? It wasn't. You know what James or Jeremiah 17, 9 says? The heart, and you all have one as well as I do, the heart is deceitful above all things yes. and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Question mark. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins. Even I give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Gideon was deceived into thinking everything was great. Yeah. And what about you? What are you telling people when they ask? Well, everything's going good, right? Never better. Oh, I had some issues. God took care of that. Went through some trials. God took care of that, right? Everything's great. Never better. God's blessing. Is he? Or is the world blessing you? And you're the king of your throne, right? And you're outside of God's will. And God doesn't like what you're doing. Listen. Let me ask you this question. Have you met a Gideon before? Have you met a Christian that everything's going great and you look at them and you're like, not by the Bible I read. Right? Not by God's word. And you could see it, but they can't. Let me tell you this. You're the person deceived sometimes too. Yeah. Let me go back to it. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And then it says, I, the Lord, search the heart. You know who knows our heart? 
We get deceived by our own heart all the time. We get deceived by it. Everything's fine. Everything's great. That's what Gideon said. That's what Uzziah said. That's what Demas said. No. We need the Lord to search it. Because there are some people where I wish I could just look at you straight in the face and say, listen, you think you're fine. You're not. And I wish some people would do that to me. Yeah. A lot of times they can't just do that. But I hope the Holy Spirit is like, Amen. That's more powerful than me anyway. You'll find my faults. It's easy. Right? I hope he does that for you. You know the only way that'll happen is if you come to him. Amen. And you're willing to listen. And you're willing to realize that worldly blessings. When we are blessed on this earth, Sometimes it's God blessing and sometimes it's us outside of God's will and we just get blessed anyway, right? That's what happened with uh, Abraham, right? He went to Egypt, got a whole bunch of stuff. God's good. No, you're out of his will. The same thing could happen to you and I. You know what I want to do? I want to finish in God's will. I don't just want to start in this thing. I want to finish. Yeah. Right? Amen. Do you? If you want to finish, you might have veered off a little bit. And it's not going to be as hard to get back. But as time goes on, you're going to keep veering. And Gideon, after 40 years, it would have been very hard for you to say, Gideon, everything you've done is wrong the last 40 years. But as it's closer to when it happened, the day he made that ephod, I wish somebody could have got some sense into him and said, get rid of that thing. Yeah. Get rid of it. It will, it will bring nothing but trouble. Why don't you ask God about that? Amen. Ask him, what's the ephod in my life? What's the idol in my life? What's, in, what's stopping me? And I'll close with this. We want to finish, right? We want to finish right. We want to finish strong. We want to be like Paul. I've kept the faith. But in order to finish, you've got to start. Yes. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've got to start there. And here's the thing. That desperately wicked, deceptive heart can tell you you're okay too. But if you've never admitted to the one that died for your sins, that's Jesus Christ. He's the only one that's ever done that. The only one that could do that. If you've never admitted to him you're a sinner, and never asked him to forgive you of your sins, you are still lost. Listen, you can talk like us, you can dress like us, you can sit in the pews around us, it doesn't matter. We're not there as character witnesses in front of God for you. Right? It's you and him. And he knows who are his children. So if you've never started right, today's the day to start. And you know what the greatest thing about it's more important how you finish is maybe you've been off track for quite a long time. You can get on track today and finish the right way no matter how little time's left. That's how merciful God is. That's how much he loves us. I ask everyone to stand this morning.